What is good, everybody? Welcome, one and all, to TGI Football on the SB Nation NFL Show, presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code SBNFL, because life is more fun when you are in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions do apply. Void or prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. As noted, this is TGI Football on the SB Nation NFL show. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe, of course, Apple devices, Spotify, etc. etc. You can always watch on the SB Nation NFL YouTube channel as well. If you do any of those things, you will be consumed by the incredible football and really life analysis of myself. I'm RJ Ochoa from Blog of the Boys. They are bleeding Green Nation's own Brandon Lee Gotten and Arrowhead Pride Zone, Steven Serta. Steven, happy February to you. February 2nd, Deuce is Wild. Yeah. Um, Okay, I had uh, a lot of energy, and then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't know if I am I supposed to be like celebrating the Chiefs in another Super Bowl, mm. going for back to back. It's against you the Forty Niners again, where where the Super Bowl run started. Like it's all coming full circle, especially in a season where everybody discounted the Chiefs and was like, they're broken, they're not going to get mm. back, and here we are again. Brandon, uh, you notoriously have a problem with the fact that Steven is an NFL agnostic and that he chooses to not really support a team. And so while that is kind of already stuck in your craw, does it not get a little bit deeper in there that the, the team he is sort of you know tied to from an allegiance standpoint is this perennially great, always in the mix, always in the Super Bowl, winning world championships, having incredible things, success all the time sort of group? No. I would say not because uh, I know Steven okay. works hard and yeah, when you work hard, uh, I feel like it's only fair that you get to cover a team who actually does something in the playoffs. Maybe you can learn a thing or two about that, RJ. So you're saying I don't work hard, just to be very That's clear. Right. That's the, the implication around here. Right. Exactly. You know. It's all proportional. You know, I'd say our colleagues would all probably agree with that. So, um, you know, shout out to everyone around here who does a lot of great work, like Jeremy Reisman, who's doing a lot of great work about the Detroit Lions, who lost the NFC Championship game. You know, just as one random example. You mm. know what I mean? Um, Tough to take shots at the, the, Lions. the Lions. I will take shots because that's all I can do. Steven, will you please explain to the audience what game we will be previewing this week on uh, TJ Football What uh, with the Super Bowl not taking place until next Sunday? I don't know. Are we are we preview are we previewing the Pro Bowl or something? Because I I don't even know what happens there anymore. Well, we don't have to preview it. I guess we can discuss what we've seen so far. Like you know, as an example, just randomly off the top of my head, like Jeremy Brandon, would you like to discuss Jalen Hurts looking all sorts of loss on the passing skills competition and not really hitting any targets, questioning right. his abilities as a passer? You know, yes. in general, again, off the top real... of my head, completely. A, re- a very real, applicable one-to-one to actual football is this moving target drill. Um, yeah. And and even the center thing, which I've seen a clips of Jason Kelsey doing that and getting uh, guff for not doing well. And it's not even like a real – that's like a long snapper drill. It's not like a center drill. Like, anyway. Uh, so that's my – my extent of the Pro Bowl has been seen – has been – or has been seeing these clips go around but not actually really caring at all. Okay. I don't well, even uh, – is it still in Hawaii? I don't even know where it's at. No, it's in I don't Orlando. think so. It doesn't feel canonical, right? I think we can all agree with that. Like, it doesn't – like, I see this happening, but, like, what am I going to do? Like, write a post about this? Like, or, no. Like, who cares? None of this matters. Um, I mentioned this to a friend – so we would agree that like the you know MLB All Star Game at the very least has the home run derby right like you know it's the middle of the summer so maybe there's like a you know that day you're like oh I'll throw this on in the background while I'm preparing dinner right like you have a, a you know kind of a pulse beat level of interest in that is that fair to say 
Yeah, like it's a good summer night activity. Right, okay. Usually, because especially too, because there's nothing else going on. Like that time of year, right? It's just baseball right. pretty much. So it's just like, yeah, whatever. I'll just put that on. So we've got that. So ba- even baseball, like the sport who focuses least on marketing themselves as opposed to, you know, the other major sports in America has that. Uh, the NBA kind of pick what you want, Stephen, but they do have, you know, even if you're not into the all-star game, they have the three-point contest, they have the dunk contest, and those are watered-down affairs, but still, they're more interesting than really anything happening at the Pro Bowl right now. Yeah, uh, the NBA All-Star Weekend is an event. Um, I would love to go to one of those. I've never been to one, but they look like a ton of fun, and they're at least, like, entertaining. Like, it's a good television product. I don't know that anything that's going on at the Pro Bowl is an actual good television product at this point. I have been to one All-Star Weekend. It was in Houston, and um, it was when um, Philadelphia 76ers player Andre Iguodala lost the slam dunk contest to Nate Robinson. Yeah, jumped over Fred Webb. Oh, he didn't get robbed. He got Robinson. It was Nate Robinson who, who beat him in that. Um, I mean, did did Iggy jump over anybody? No, because Nate Robinson did. Um, so yeah, he took know. like what uh, fifty attempts to do it. It wasn't fifty. It was maybe two. Actually, no, I think it, it was, was more the first than one. that. It was more. Okay, than well, that. I was there in person. Were you? No, that's right. I saw it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Boom. Case closed. We have no games to discuss. So instead, what we're going to do is basically rip on all of the new NFL head coaches. I think that sounds like a fun and worthwhile activity. Um, now that all of the vacancies have been filled uh, ahead of the Pro Bowl, if you want to look at that as kind of a point of demarcation. So I guess let's start in reverse chronological order. Uh, BLG, you and I were dancing around the idea of Dan Quinn becoming the Washington Commanders head coach. And I don't want to put words in either of our mouths, but we were kind of like, there's no way that they would do this because this would be such a fail. Uh, now, while we recorded the NFC's mixtape, Ben Johnson announced that he basically didn't want this job. Um, mm. Again, I am kind of putting words in his mouth there. But Dan Quinn is the newest head coach of the Washington Commanders. There's a real incestual nature to the NFC East, what with Kellen Moore now as the offensive coordinator Mm. of the Philadelphia Eagles. I really don't get this hire for the Commanders. Like, this is their NFC, former NFC South coach who lost in the Super Bowl and has been kind of middling. Okay, am I talking about Ron Rivera? Am I talking about Dan Quinn there? I mean, it's just like, what, how is this a needle moving kind of decision? It just feels all about raising the floor, which is not what the commanders should really be so much concerned about. They should be shooting for the stars. They should be going for high upside, exciting. Because um, unlike a lot of other teams, they have a bigger grace period uh, than so many other organizations because of coming off of Dan Snyder to a new ownership. So like, I just think they should be swinging for the fences, and I don't think that's what they're doing here at all. I mean, how do you sell, oh, we're hiring the, the right guy for us to finally get us over the hump, this back to our glory days, is the guy who oversaw the worst Super Bowl collapse in NFL history. Like, how, how are you selling that as what is this great thing about the new era of commanders football, especially when it should all be all about, hey, we have the number two pick. We're going to get this offensive mastermind in here to pair with him to really, you know, have him take over. And instead, we're, we're hiring this guy who has a good track record as a defensive coordinator, head coach, been mediocre. I just I think it's tough to go from the idea of Ben Johnson or even Mike McDonald, who also defensive guy, but like this on the cusp of maybe this new kind of defensive thinking in the NFL, something exciting as opposed to a retread and maybe bringing in Chip Kelly as your offensive coordinator. Like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? It sounded like you had more to say there. Like, you kind of sounded like you <laughs> cut yourself off like mid sentence. I don't know if. That was supposed to be for dramatic effect or anything. 
Stephen, you got that vibe too, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I, was not, I was not ready. Uh, <laughs> okay. Chip Kelly really just uh, brick walled it, I guess. There. Well, um, um, your thoughts, Stephen, on Dan Quinn and whether or not is for what it's worth. I was browsing and perusing the Commander subreddit, and they all hated this. They all were just they were so mad at Ben Johnson, and they feel um, the 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 word I saw was whelmed, um, not mm. over, not under, but just whelmed. I think Commanders fans should be disappointed by this. Um, you know, we I think we have a large enough sample size of Dan Quinn. We know exactly what he is. And if you wanted Ron Rivera gone and you didn't like where they were going with him, which why would you? Like they weren't going anywhere with him. It feels like the exact same situation here where you're you're just like, okay, well, we dumped assets last year, cleared out money. Uh, we thought we were going to be better than we wound up being and somehow fell into the number two overall pick in the draft. And so we're going to take a quarterback after they just spent half a season trying to convince you that Sam Howell was the franchise quarterback. And that obviously didn't work. And then it makes you question like, yeah, it seems like the commanders really went all in on landing Ben Johnson or Mike McDonald and had to wait this thing out and see how things went in the playoffs to make that official. And then it didn't work out in either way. And I want to talk about Mike Donald cause I'm, I'm excited for where he landed, but it, it felt like they pushed all their chips in and then scrambled because they didn't have a backup plan. And it makes you question like the new ownership and the direction and everything. Because everybody, as soon as the regular season ended, it was, Oh, Washington's in a really nice spot. They got new ownership. They're they're interested in winning now. They've got this draft capital. They got all this money. Like this is a great spot for a, a young head coach to come in and, and really leave his stamp on the organization. And he just had to go in the total opposite direction because you didn't leave yourself a backup plan if Ben Johnson just decided like, hey, it's really important to me to see this thing through in Detroit. I love the people that I work with. I love the team that we put together. We think we can be right back there. And there's no way that anybody anticipated that, like, because you just don't usually see guys say no to head coaching opportunities. I appreciate the hell out of what Ben Johnson did in this situation. Like, no, I want to go see this thing through. It's more important to me to work with Dan Campbell and the staff and all the guys that we have there. I, I think that's tremendous. I, I think not enough people do that. But it also makes me question how that job is viewed now and, and how Washington is viewed, even with new ownership and, and the new situation and trying to move in the right direction, because like, why wouldn't anybody be interested in that? Like, of course, Dan Quinn is. Of course, Dan Quinn's like, yes. Oh, you're going to you're going to offer me the head coaching job. Absolutely. I'll take it in a heartbeat. Like it, it's it's hard to feel good about any of that. And, and what was supposed to be an exciting offseason for a franchise that has been bad for a really long time. I have a lot of thoughts on this and obviously have shared them throughout the blog and the boys universe. Um it did seem like a scramble. I think that that's pretty obvious. It feels like um, you both do some, you know, sports wagering. But you know, if you're doing like, um, you know, like one of these prop bet, you know, kind of platforms or whatever, and you've got like one you really like, and and you go to add like one to make it the final parlay or whatever you're setting up, and it's like, oh, that one's unavailable, you know, now, and it's like five minutes till tip off or kickoff. You're like, oh crap, crap, I need I need something to fill this out, and you just go like, uh, this one feels good. I'll just add this one. I this you know, I kind of like the way this feels. That's what Dan Quinn kind of feels like. Oh, he's uh. Been to a Super Bowl, and the Cowboys' defense has been really good for three years. So uh, he's a leader of men. Let's just bring him in. He feels. I saw again the Commander subreddit had all sorts of great jokes. It was like Dan Rivera, uh, Ron Quinn, like all sorts of great stuff because they're basically the same person, like the same archetype, same pathway. And 
BLG, you, I, I always love referencing this, how you talk about how opposing fans feel whenever you do something that involves them. Cowboys fans are celebrating, dancing in the street, get Dan Quinn off of our hands. And all these people who are, I don't want to say carrying the water for Dan Quinn, but they're like, oh man, Cowboys fans are going to miss Dan Quinn. The defense has been, you know, remember the Mike Nolan days in 2020? Just because he's better than the worst option of all time does not mean that like you have to marry him. And also we shouldn't apply what he did in 2021 or 22 for that matter to our current moment. They were awful. I mean, like downright terrible over the second half of this past season, which again is a point that I've been bringing up continually to each of you. There's lots of record to show that I feel this way. Um, so I agree with you, Stephen. Dan, this was the least amount of juice that Dan Quinn ever had in a hiring cycle since he took over as the Cowboys <clears throat> defensive coordinator. In fact, he turned down jobs. He was Ben Johnson. And I think it's kind of a lesson of, you know, your iron will not always stay hot. Um, I think that Ben Johnson would have been, I think we all agree, the best hire, whoever would have hired him this this cycle, right? We all would. I think Mike Vrabel would have been the best hire, whoever would have hired him this cycle. I think Bill Belichick would have had a weird kind of best energy around him just because of who he is. And the more I've thought about it, I think they all are looking at next year's cycle and who could, like what teams could mm. be available and might be more interested. You think about Dallas, Philadelphia, you know, our, our potential New options, New York, maybe, or Chicago, if Caleb Williams is both, there, right? Like, both New York jobs, to be clear. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. Maybe Buffalo, for that matter, right? Like, you can marry yourself. You know, it, it, it feels like the Chargers, who had the most desirable variable that any team could have had, Brandon, with Justin Herbert, those options could be much more in quantity next offseason with the quarterbacks of the teams I just mentioned. One last thing I want to say in the commander's part is there was a leak, I guess, from Schefter, seemingly from, I'm guessing, commander's ownership. Oh, this is so sad. This idea that like part of the reason that Ben Johnson, uh, you know, wasn't hired is because his asking price was too high. That is absolute garbage. There's no salary cap for coaches. Fans should not care at all what a head coach is asking for. If you're not hiring a head coach because like you're trying to get a, a candidate on a budget, that's pathetic. If you love a candidate and he's great, you should take literally whatever it takes to to pay him to get him in your building. That should never be an acceptable reason why you did not hire a candidate is because their asking price was too high. That's ridiculous to me. That's pathetic that I mean, I get, you know, Schefter puts that out there because it's part of the game in terms of agents and sources and whatnot. But fit, no fan out there should be using that as a reasonable, like, well, we couldn't get Ben Johnson because he wanted too much money. No, if you're doing that, that is exactly what a billionaire owner wants you to think is acceptable. And I just think it's pathetic. And again, credit to Ben Johnson for saying, this is what it's going to take for me to leave Detroit. <laughs> and if you want to give me that, then okay, I'll leave. And and they didn't do it. And that what's also insane about them putting that out there to try to paint this picture of Ben Johnson. Like, no, he was being unreasonable. That's why we didn't <laughs> hire him. Like they don't have to make coaches salaries, public knowledge. Like there's a lot of, there's lots of head coaches of the NFL. We have no yep. idea what they're making. Most we just kind of them. speculate what their salaries are. Like they didn't, they, they if they could have, they could have paid Ben Johnson $25 million a year and they would never have to tell anyone about that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just it's just pettiness by an organization, which, again, like it's like, OK, new ownership. Are we sure they're mm. headed in the right direction now all of a sudden? Because it felt like they were. And now it's like nobody seems to want that job. And like Belichick, I could understand because I don't think Belichick wants to go through a rebuild and, and have like a young quarterback and, and try to put in the years because he, he probably doesn't have that much time left. It seems like Vrabel doesn't really want to do that either, even though Vrabel's a younger guy and you would think would just want to go to a good situation. But the fact that 
Vrabel somehow wasn't the backup plan and Dan Quinn was is is questionable. My last thing on the Josh Harris of it all is, I mean, these are real concerns on the Sixers end. I can speak to this where there have been times where they haven't been willing to pay the luxury tax. And there's also been more than one example where they've straight up sold second round picks in the NBA, which that doesn't give you cap space. That just puts literally literally just takes money and it puts it in the owner's pocket. The team doesn't benefit from that at all. It just the owner making himself richer. So it's a little funny to me that I've seen that and now I'm seeing this, the owner potentially being cheap in another situation. And I think that's pretty disheartening if you're a commander. Sam. I think it's funny because the fact that Josh Harris also owns the Sixers has been a big issue for you um, as a Sixers fan, but it's kind of in this case, kind of helping the Eagles because it's, you know, serving as a detriment to the commander. So um, hope you feel silly, Brandon. Well, uh, I mean, then that doesn't make me feel good no, about the Sixers you, though. Totally. It's okay. Um, Mike McDonald, Stephen, you said I want to talk about him. I should mention, by the way, we're sort of, I wouldn't say grading, but evaluating all of these. Uh, James Dater wrote about this at SBNation.com. Everybody can go read it. Um, for the purposes of kind of continuity, give me a letter grade, Brandon, Stephen, for Dan Quinn. Uh, for Dan Quinn, I'm going to say a C-. minus. Stephen. I'm going to say D. That's what James gave. So Stephen is uh, correct so far. We've developed a nice little game for this episode of TJ Football. So <laughs> let's move on to Mike Donald. Stephen, what do you think James graded the move, and what do you grade it? Uh, I would think it would be an A, because um, that's what I would give it. I give you partial uh, credit. He gave it an A plus. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Well, yeah. Right, right in the same range. Oh uh, crap! I didn't let Brandon guess. The game is run. Sorry. But go I'm ahead. I'm gonna Steven. say <laughs> B plus. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Steve. So I, I really like this hire. Um, and, and obviously, I, I think that like it, it's pretty clear that the Seattle Seahawks right now are in a better position to win. Now, I still think at some point they've got to make a decision quarterback wise. Like Gino has been fine. And, and Gino, you can win games with Gino as long as they continue to you know draft players. And then they've had a couple of pretty good drafts here in recent years. And they still have some players like. Um, you know, Tyler Lockett's a guy they probably got to make a decision on this offseason. But I think it's it's a perfect transition head coach. Like you get this young defensive minded head coach who can bring a, a lot of stability to your franchise after you were just stable for so long with Pete Carroll. And it's kind of the same mentality where like they're going to try to build on the defensive side of the ball. And they've already got some really nice pieces there in Seattle on that side of the ball. And I, I really like what Mike McDonald did with the Ravens. And I think he's going to be a really good head coach. So I think this is a huge hire for them. Um, and I would have to imagine whatever he wanted money wise, they were like, sure, we, we got you because you were our top candidate. And so I, I think it's a really good situation. I, I think there's still questions uh, about Seattle moving forward and what they decide to do with the quarterback position. And, and what they want to build for the future. But I think this is a home run higher and it feels like they're, they're, they're not going to probably have much of a drop off. I would imagine in year one, going from Pete Carroll to Mike McDonald. I like the upside swing they're going for here. Obviously we don't know what Mike McDonald is. I almost did that. The Mike McDaniel, that's going to be confusing. Thankfully they're not like, in the same division or something. They're pretty much as far as they could they're be. Gonna, they're they're going to meet in the Super Bowl after this. And <laughs> there you go. A thing. Did you know they almost have the same name? <laughs> uh, will be a popular storyline, I'm sure. But yeah, uh, obviously, the, with any defensive coach, Dan Quinn included in here, the offensive coordinator hire is going to be huge. 
We'll see what they do on that end. But I like the the upside swing here. It feels to me like this could be like, uh, and this is you know a big like leap of faith to make, and a, a lot has to be proven before he gets there. But this feels like maybe this could be the next Pete Carroll, and maybe this could be the next culture setter. It seems like there is something there with the Ravens and having this um, Aaron McDonald in the style of defense that maybe that's like the new like cutting edge of what's popular in the NFL, the new Vic Fangio style that everyone is chasing after. So maybe they're kind of getting ahead of the curve a bit on that. So I'm intrigued by this. I think a plus is a little too much because there's still a lot of unproven quality here. And again, really going to depend what happens with the offense still, because there's a lot to be figured out there, but uh, I like the upside. Um, I do think this is the best hire um, in terms of, I mean, you can, I think the Jim Harbaugh thing is kind of in its own unique box and we'll get there in a moment. But um, I think I agree with you, Brandon. It has the biggest upside in terms of like he could be around for a decade and you don't necessarily feel that about every hire, even I mean, not just like the Dan Quinn one with standing. Like, I don't know that we feel that confident in Dave Canales in Carolina as an example. Like there's a, a much more proven kind of track record, even though it's a small sample size for McDonald um, that is worth believing in. Something I thought was interesting is we had KJ Wright on my radio show in San Antonio on Thursday and he does radio in Seattle and he was asked you know, why not Dan Quinn? Because obviously, he, you know, Quinn was connected to him and KJ obviously played for him. And he said that the like general vibe is people wanted a reset. Like they wanted to kind of disconnect and move on from the Pete Carroll era, not in a negative way. But I do think that there's value in that, Stephen, and saying like, like I look at the Cowboys as an example. They, you can all, go all the way back to when they first hired Jason Garrett in 2007, and they've always had somebody stay on staff every time there's been a change in power. And there is something nice to having a clean break. Even if you believe it's the same general sort of type of, of head coach, getting a whole new fresh set of eyes and fresh set of people in the building is a positive thing. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, it's – for some reason, it keeps getting brought up year after year now. Like, what are the Chiefs going to do when Andy Reid retires? And what what's the succession plan? He's not the, for some reason, he's he's a little older. Yeah. That's, that's a fair yeah. thing to wonder about is all sure. I'm saying. Sure. But it's Andy, year after year, is like, no, stop asking me about that. I'm <laughs> what not, else is he going to do? Not, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not thinking about it whatsoever. And. But like uh, for a long time, it was like, oh, maybe Eric Bieniemy is the successor. Now it's Matt mm. Nagy, and like, I, I totally agree with that approach. Like, sever all ties. Like when Andy Reid retires, let's go, let's go find somebody. Let's go find a new, young, innovative guy or, or another guy that you feel comfortable with. Because I do think that there, there's this level of like complacency sometimes in the NFL where you get scared of the unknown and you get scared of making bets on, on other people, especially if you've had success with what you have. And, and, and I think it's just the bad way. It's a bad way to approach things in, in football because things change so fast and, and situations change so fast. Even like Andy Reid's time in Philadelphia, like at the end was bad. And, and I think that was because he was doing too many things and had, and had too much control over the organization he hasn't had any of that here in Kansas City. It's worked out really well. But I, I still think like Brett Veach is, is is great for the structure of the franchise. But I think every team in the league should be doing that. The, the idea that let's just go get this retread guy and he's going to find success. Like it's, you know, like the, the Raheem Morris thing. I, I think that that could be a successful thing because it's a little bit different of a circumstance than it is like a Dan Quinn. Like we know yeah. exactly Dan Quinn's the same thing as Ron Rivera. You knew exactly what you were getting when they hired him. And it's impossible to feel good about that. Like, I would always rather go for the unknown guy who's got something to prove than somebody who we know exactly who he's going to be and what he's going to accomplish.
BLG. The Atlanta Falcons chose Raheem Morris over Bill Belichick. And that's all anybody kind of cares to discuss from it all. Never mind the you know glowing reviews that Raheem Morris is generating. But that's when you do something like this, when you, you know, when you wine and dine Belichick the way that Atlanta did so publicly, you do kind of open yourself up to this scrutiny. This is a different kind of retread hire, I think, than a lot of other ones, to Stephen's point there. Like, this is a big gap that Raheem Morris, you know, going back to when he was head coach of the Bucks, and also like just how extremely young he was back then. And I don't even think he did that bad of a job in Tampa his first go around as much as it's just that, you know, expectations there were obviously very high coming off of what John Gruden did. And again, an extremely young candidate at the time. So, and after that kind of almost had to like rebuild his career was going from like, you know, position coach to, to coordinator. Like he had to like, kind of like really rebuild himself all the way back up. So I think there's uh, an appeal to that. And I think you look at, you know, obviously his most recent results and how it seems to me that's exactly what you want out of coaching is taking talent that isn't necessarily awesome. Or if it is even making it, you know, making the talent better, perform at a higher level, getting the most out of what you have. And I think there's a case to be made that Raheem Morris did that. So I'm actually pretty uh, interested to see how the Raheem Morris goes again, like I just said, with McDonald and Quinn, it really comes down to, okay, can you nail the offensive coordinator hire? And the Falcons very much need a quarterback because unlike everyone else, I've, I've been the only one willing to say Desmond Ritter is certainly not the solution there. So uh, I'm intrigued by that as well. And uh, <clears throat> look, I, I've also been very much on the Bill Belichick. Uh, I don't really feel great about him post Brady thing. So I'm, I'm pretty okay with that. Yeah. It's with Belichick. It just feels like, that there really is no like give and take with him. Like it seems like he's going in there and he's like, I want control of everything top to bottom. You're not going to have influence on any decision that we make. And why would you hire him? If that's the case, <laughs> like if you want to be a well-run functional organization, like we see this all the time, like the 49ers consistently draft well, can, can are consistently back in the mix. And Kyle Shanahan has heavy influence on all the decisions they make but their front office is also really good and they've identified really talented players and continued to draft guys who wind up being contributors on the roster. Like just look at functional organizations across the league. And, and that's a common theme. Whereas Bill Belichick over the last several years has been the worst general manager in football. So mm. like, I, I wouldn't be interested in giving Belichick the keys to everything and have him being the, the sole decision maker of my organization. So I applaud the Falcons for kind of whining and dining Belichick and making it seem like, oh, he's our top candidate. And then just saying, yeah, actually, we're, we're good. We're going to go in another direction. Like, I'm kind of excited for what the Falcons do, depending on the quarterback situation. That's obviously the biggest thing they have to address. But we know they have the offensive talent. They've got a, a reasonable offensive line. We know they've got the skill position players. And their defense was kind of one of the more overlooked units this past season. Like, they were pretty good on that side of the ball. And they've got some talent over there. So, I actually think the Falcons, I, I think this is a good hire. I'm excited to see where it goes and, and how their offseason kind of plays out. Definitely interested in the Raheem Morris angle. Um, I think it's definitely obvious that Arthur Blank is maybe regretful on not promoting him, you know, when he had the opportunity after the 2020 season when he was the interim. I'm just a little bit less inclined to buy the Atlanta turned down Bill Belichick of this all. I, I think that, you know, hmm. in, in the experience of, 
you know, tracking Sean Payton rumors for an entire year when he was not, uh, uh, you know, coaching in the NFL, mm-hmm. there is a lot of value to being the unknown legend. And that was just the legend of Sean Payton, which is a fraction of what Bill Belichick says. I mean, Bill can take some time, reassess, build a barn in a football warehouse if he wants to, like McCarthy swore he did, and be constantly connected to everything. I mean, as time goes on, people will forget a little bit of this or it will be further in the distant memory. And he'll be wined and dined by everybody next coaching cycle and will potentially have better options. I mean, again, I know that we're assuming a lot of things in the future, but it makes a lot more sense to want to coach the Eagles or the Cowboys or the Bears or the Bills or whoever a year from now than the Falcons right now, just because you want to itch to get back in things right away. We're not even a year from now. There's going to be as if a team like whoever the Eagles or the Cowboys, whatever the teams you just mentioned, gets off to like an zero and five start or whatever. Oh, there's going to be rumors like Bill Belichick's coming in now, like in season to save the season or whatever. Like that'll be a thing. That's exactly what it was like with Sean Payton. I mean, and I don't foresee Bill doing as many appearances for lack of a better word as sean payton did but i mean sean payton worked for fox and did all sorts of podcasts and anytime he did he was asked about the cowboys job and it was great content for us but i mean it just never ever ever went away and i mean the teams that we think could have new or could have head coach openings i should say are premier teams very very vocal and visible teams with you know star quarterback situations so um that's all that's the only part where i'm zigging a little bit where everybody's zagging like i don't buy that belichick was like begging the falcons for the job and they were like you know, toss their hair in his face. We're like, we're good, Bill. You know, Raheem Morris is our guy. Um, Jim Harbaugh, Stephen, A plus. Uh, it seems that Brandon has found the article at SB Nation. I'm not giving. Uh, sorry, with all due respect <laughs> to James, I don't like care about. It. I'm giving my grades. I can't speak for him, but I'm uh, giving my grades. So not only has Brandon, you know, trampled all over James's hard work, um, well, he also spoke James's out of work. turn. Uh, he also spoke out of turn because, Stephen, it was your turn. But I was going to say, Stephen, is I am already annoyed at Jim Harbaugh. Uh, the Chargers have gotten so much love and attention for absolutely nothing over They're the back, years. baby. And now Jim Harbaugh is just here and is ruining the quiet and peace that we kind of had for about two months. I mean, they are going to be obnoxious and even when the chiefs win the super bowl next week in all likelihood they're going to have won three super bowls in a five-year span and it's going to be like watch out for the chargers in the afc west and i hate every bit of it yeah it's so i i think it's a great hire i I agree with bl blg uh it's an a plus Uh, i think harbaugh is a winner i think he will turn the culture around Uh, i think he will get his fingerprints all over the roster and all of that stuff now if he can overcome the curse of the chargers that that's a different story, <laughs> but I, I think it's a great hire. And it's like, we we've spent all these years now, just like chargers are going to take this step forward. The chargers are finally going to get over the hump and, and it just kept not happening. And, and it felt like, I, I think we talked about it ahead of the season. Like they should have fired Brandon Staley after last year, like them just wasting this year was, mm. was ridiculous, but they landed Harbaugh because of it. So uh, that that's fine. Um, but they've got a ton of decisions to make uh, this offseason. Like they got to decide what they're going to do with Keenan Allen. They gave Mike Williams a bunch of money. Now he's coming off of a serious injury. Uh, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack. Like they 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 owe so much money on the defensive side of the ball, and their defense was terrible this year. Like they've got so many question marks, uh, just roster wise. Like Harbaugh's really going to have to take some swings, and they're going to have to draft and develop because I think they're going to move in the right direction. Obviously. 
Justin Herbert comes back and you can keep him healthy. Like he's a top five quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. And I think that they can eventually challenge the chiefs in the AFC West, but I still think that they're going to be a year or two away from this, from actually like contending with the chiefs because Austin Eckler is about to be a free agent. Like it, it just feels like their roster is kind of aged out at this point. And they've really got to draft and develop some young players and get some pieces around Herbert because I don't think they can win with the current makeup of their roster. I'm excited. I'm all the way back in after being out on the chargers <clears throat> reluctantly, but necessarily uh, I'm back baby. Cause I've, I've been a, a hardball guy. Uh, <laughs> not, I'm not like a big college football guy, but uh, back on the 49ers, I felt like he, I've said this before. I feel like somehow he didn't get enough credit for how good those 49 te- 49ers teams were. And I, like, and obviously how his time there kind of ended unceremoniously and in no small part due to Trent Baalke, who clearly was not the driver of success that he thought he was. And everyone uh, wanted him to be, or that was kind of how it was spun at the time. You know, they obviously kept Balky over Jim Harbaugh. So uh, I'm really excited to see what he can do. Justin Herbert has to be a lot better. Obviously, I rip on Lamar, as RJ likes to point out, but apparently I don't say anything bad about Justin Herbert. Not true. He has to do something in the playoffs after doing nothing, basically, except being part of an epic collapse to this point. But I think Harbaugh will be the coach to help him do just that. At the very... Oh, yeah, I thought I was muted for a second. At the very least, the Chargers finally have an actual bona fide superstar. Justin Herbert is incredibly talented, but, I mean, I don't think it's, you know, ridiculous to say he doesn't have the level of football fame that Jim Harbaugh does. He's not the level of football character that Jim Harbaugh is. In fact, he kind of, you know, shucks and and runs away from that spotlight where Harbaugh embraces it. So at the very least, there is a sun at the center of universe of hype for the Chargers. And so it makes logical sense, but it is still really annoying. I agree with both of you though. Like he's, he's the first adult in the room for the Chargers since what? I mean, Norv Turner. I mean, I mean that might, I, and that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, it's been a very, very, very long time. And so I'm excited. It will be great content one way or another to consume. And for that, I'm grateful. Uh, um, the aforementioned Dave Canales, um, this was kind of the one that I think caught everybody a little bit by surprise, even though the Bucks obviously had an impressive offensive rise over the second half of the season and through the, you know, they were impressive in the playoffs. I know that they were outmatched by Detroit, but this really did, Stephen, feel like nobody, and I don't mean this in any disrespectful way towards Dave Canales, but no, none of the heavy hitters want this job. It felt like question around David Tepper. It took, you know, maybe taking a chance on a, a little bit more of an unknown quantity. That being said, I do think this is a, a solid unknown to kind of roll some dice on. There are a lot of worse directions. Like, I think this is a better move for Carolina than even Dan Quinn is an example, because you have the chance of the young hotshot offensive mind revolutionizing your team and, and hopefully resuscitating Bryce Young's career, even though it's only his second season. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's lots of reasons why nobody wanted this job. Like you don't have the number one overall pick and your Mm. roster is terrible. (laughs) Like, um, so I, I understand why Dave Canales took this job and, and I totally agree. Like, I think, I think it seemed like the top candidates just weren't interested. And I think it's pretty clear that David Tepper is not a guy that is liked by coaches across the league. And it, it is not really an owner that is respected right now. Um, and it seems like he is not really fun to work for, um, but it, it's you, you got to take your chances in hiring a, a young offensive minded head coach who 
is going to come in and try to see what you have in Bryce Young and hopefully put some more pieces around him is really the best you could hope for at this point with uh, what David Tepper has done so far during his ownership of the Carolina Panthers. I like the idea of maybe getting a coach like a year too early, if you if you will. Right. You know, I think Canales could have been you know this candidate that maybe the Panthers wouldn't have been able to hire uh whatever i know that timing might not work out depending on you know who else they hired it's not like they'd be hiring again potentially well who knows uh next year but i like the the thinking of getting a guy maybe a little bit earlier maybe they you know are willing to accept some of the growing pains that'll come along with that as opposed to you know needing this win now instant kind of fix i think and also you know you weaken a, a division rival potentially it's a nice little bonus but i just think it comes down to you know is bryce young any good like can he can he play in the nfl and there are really kind of big concerns about that and that that exists kind of makes me worry and wonder about his future in carolina just any like, what is the ceiling for him if you just have a total non-starter at quarterback and that's what i worry about it's strange to say the least but you know i feel better about the panthers than i have I don't feel good about them, but I feel better about them. This is the best you felt about the Panthers since when, Stephen? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like Pete Cam Newton. <laughs> so, I mean, wow. I mean, so, that there, and, and I will say, like Bryce Young, I, I think it's clear he's got physical limitations as an NFL quarterback. Like, like, and we all knew that. And I think not enough was made of that uh, mm-hmm. ahead of him being drafted, but also their offensive line was complete and utter garbage sure. last year. Their pass catchers complete and utter garbage. All, all due respect to Adam Thielen. Like he wound up having a decent year because he was the only guy in that wide receiver room who could make any kinds of plays for them. And, the running game was terrible. Like their whole offense was just totally dysfunctional and totally failed Bryce Young on every level in his rookie season. So I, I don't think it can get any worse than it was mm. last year for Bryce Young, I- at the very least. I had a mic issue. My mic came unplugged and I had to plug it back in. It was a big old oh. deal. Um, I'm back. But I don't know that we have to discuss the Gerard Mayo, Antonio Pierce, and Brian Callahan hires because it's been a while. You know what I mean? Like I feel like enough's been said. I don't know if y'all. Yeah, I have gonna... one last thing on Canales. Like, is there any chance the Panthers would sign Baker? Bring him back to Carolina? Why, why not? They should. I don't think okay. you should just put all your eggs in the Bryce Young basket. On the subject of that, let's play three questions based on now that we know the answers to all the head coaching kind of, you know, situations. And there's a lot, you know, a little bit of time to go before free agency. But nevertheless, I'm going to spin a wheel with three questions and you each have to answer them. Are you ready? Yep. Yes. Where is Kirk Cousins playing football? Wait, where's the Who's wheel that? being spun? Are you where's the you just spin the wheel? It's not really a wheel. It's it's three yeah. questions. I know the questions. Like I'm not, you know, uh, it would be a wheel of three. Uh, where's things. the it wheel coming a, into play? It was an analogy that hopefully was going to fly over people's heads because it didn't work out too well. But thank you for exposing. <laughs> <so. laughs> the best I can do right now on such short notice. Uh, um, where is Kirk Cousins playing football in 2024, Stephen? Uh, I'm going to say with the Vikings. I don't mm. think he's going anywhere. I was going to say let's, that. Let's be interesting. Uh, and yeah, uh, that's the hypothetical, the hypothetical not the most likely non-Vikings team. Yeah, let's say the most likely non-Vikings team. Um, hmm. What do you mean? Let's say I just said it. Like, you don't get credit for crafting the question that I just crafted. And it's no, Stephen's question like, to answer. <clears throat> I was agreeing with you. 
Okay, Stephen, please. Sorry. Uh, okay, then I will say the Falcons. Hmm. I'm trying to think. Who needs a quarterback? Um, mm-hmm. RJ, so what the, do you think? Well, not the options. Saints who, who just gave Derek Carr. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> so the Falcons make a lot of sense. The as an as an option, the Steelers mm. make a lot of sense as an option. Although mm. they would never sign him. No. The Raiders. Mm. Yeah, the Raiders and Broncos are both going to be looking for a quarterback potentially. I, yeah, mean, I, I guess they got Levis, so no on the Titans and Colts having. I think Richardson. I'd like to see Kirk and Sean Payton. That feels like a a fit. Kirk honestly seems to me like the quarterback that could work the the best with him. You know what I mean? Like Kirk isn't about ego yeah, and things that's like what I'm that. Saying. Like, like it, I'm, if you're looking for like the next Drew Brees, like the next iteration of like kind of Sean Payton, Drew Brees offense, I think Kirk oh, would be that. Man, couldn't you and just a quarterback be, who puts up good just, regular season numbers and then does nothing in the playoffs or underachieves in the playoffs? Couldn't you just see Sean Payton? Like I know he's coming off the Achilles, but you know people said we were crazy to take a chance on Drew when he was coming off the shoulder surgery in 2006. <laughs> I mean, like he is so gonna do that. Like it is, it is inevitable. He wouldn't fit in Vegas. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like. No, that it doesn't. The, yeah, the personality. No. Um, okay, so let's stick with this. These quarterback things it's, again. Most likely destinations that aren't their current teams. And some of these, in, these next two, in, in all likelihood, involve trades. Russell Wilson, Steve. Um. Yeah. Um. I guess. I mean, he would kind of make sense for the Raiders or Falcons. Is like, because I, I just feel like he's gonna be cheap. And so it'll be kind of like a Baker Mayfield thing this past off season where he signed somewhere for a cheap one year contract. Cause nobody wants him really. The Raiders would be interesting in the sense that he could at least play against the Broncos, but Russell Wilson and Cliff Kingsbury in the same room is not, you know, anything that sounds interesting to me, but mm. you know, who was previously uh, Russell Wilson's quarterbacks coach and then passing game coordinator is Dave Canales. So maybe there you go, Carolina to compete with, uh, that, that's young. way too big of a stretch. I mean, I could see Russell Wilson just headed down the Andy Dalton path here, where he just becomes like a high end backup quarterback. For he's way too talented for that. He's so much more talented than Andy was when the wheels were falling off. I, mean, yeah, I think he's, he was really bad. Last I think year. it's more of like he signed somewhere when it's like you know musical chairs and there's only one chair left, kind of thing. And so he'll just go there, wherever that spot is, the only place that will take him. I'm curious, what is Geno Smith's situation? Back to Seattle? No, but that's what, like I'm looking. He has no guaranteed money left. I mean, you know, no. he's got it. He's Russ on the book. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm still thinking Kirk. Uh, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not throwing Seattle out of the mix for a quarterback. Is what I'm saying. But definitely not Russ. Obviously, that would be really that would wasn't it? They can't Brock do that. You, just, you can't reset the culture with your old quarterback. No, I know. I'm just saying, but like, uh, was it Brock Osweiler that went back to Denver? That was weird after all that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, Justin Fields, Stephen, if he's not a bear, where? Uh, so Justin Fields is the one I would most like to see with the Falcons. Um, because I think they're, they're, they're just set up with talent right now on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Bijan, uh, Drake London, Kyle Pitts. Like I would like to see Justin Fields with a decent offensive line and decent skilled position players and hopefully uh, a, a stable uh, 
organization around him and what he Morris can hopefully bring. So mm. that would be my number one. Also, Justin Fields to the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think would be awesome. I don't they think there's never. a chance in hell that will happen, but I, I think the Steelers should seriously look into it. I don't think they're going to, though. He loses yeah, too much for them to be interested in him. Uh, I don't don't really i I know everyone said the falcons everyone said the raiders so i don't want to say those for the sake of just saying what everyone else has already said i'm actually looking up every team is it the vikings if if they let vikings for somebody there i could uh in division uh not impossible um commanders if no uh i'm looking at every team what about the browns like what if like the what if the Browns try to hedge their bet on Deshaun Dude, Watson? See what is this? Is that just bringing Joe Flacco back then at this point? I just I don't think they can go. They, there's no way they can go all in on Deshaun. Seeing how they had success with Flacco, and also seeing how bad Watson was. Not to mention, obviously, off the field stuff. Is <sighs> is a Justin Fields fan? I do not want that to happen because it does not feel like that's a healthy situation to go to right now. Mm. um my computer is spazzing out so if you, if right. i lose you both um let's know, just wrap it trails. up well no last last question i can't see you though um but last question then we can wrap it up because uh steven you brought up how the chargers should have fired brandon staley a year ago i think we all said that like it was just it was too big of a hill to like overcome who is that this year like who who is the who is the team and the coach that you know they should have just broken it off this year. I think I can think of two, and I'll just say them in case I vanish. Um, it's Mike McCarthy with the Cowboys and Nick Sirianni with the Eagles. Like I, you, you could totally see like a year from now being like, oh man, this was super obvious that this was not going to go well. But Stephen, yeah, I think Mike McCarthy is probably the top one, and then I think uh, one that probably isn't going to be talked about enough is the Jets and, and mm. Robert Sala and that coaching staff. I think they got to just reset and tear this thing down because banking on 40 plus year old Aaron Rodgers coming back off of an Achilles injury. And like that, they keep, they keep just dragging their feet and being like, we got a window right now to win. And they keep not doing anything with it. And they have not improved year over year. And this year it was just all bl- the blame on Aaron Rodgers getting hurt. And I, I just think that they're not a well-run organization and they should be looking to reset things. I think that's a fair point on the Jets. It felt like really they could have went like 0-17 this year and there wouldn't have been accountability because the plan was like ruined. So, and I think the it, it, it was always just like, well, this year doesn't count. But that sucks because it should. You can't, it just can't just be like, well, it doesn't matter now that Rodgers got hurt so we can't evaluate anything. That's not true. That's wrong, but that's exactly how they handled it. All right, let's get out of here before my computer stuff combusts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else. 
and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back into TGI Football. RJ Ochoa sat down with Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, the Fox NFL Sunday broadcast team, to chat about this year's Super Bowl. Very pleased now to be joined by two of the most internationally famous, well-known all around the earth and corresponding planets. You know them as Dallas Cowboys fans very, very, very well. From Fox and here today on behalf of DiGiorno's, the one and only Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Kevin, I suppose I throw to you first. How are you doing today? Uh, great. You know, RJ, we, you know, we were talking before and, and Greg and I had joked at one point, um, you know, cause obviously we did a lot of Cowboys games, which we love doing. So we said, fans are either going to be like, Oh, cool. We get to see those guys again, or Holy cow. I never want to see those guys ever again. So I, I, I don't know which way that went, but, uh, for, I know, I know speaking for Greg, we loved doing all those Cowboys games. So, uh, it's great to see you and be with you today. Greg, do you know how many Cowboys games you did off the top of your head? I do. Trust me. We did nine. That's right. Um, at one point, you had done um, thrice as many as any other team, although Dallas um, fell apart, obviously, in the playoffs. You know, thanks for y'all being there and, you know, kind of just telling us all about it the whole time it happened. Uh, but San Francisco outlasting everybody um, gave y'all some more opportunities to do them. Um, and you really did lean into that, Greg. I was telling Kevin right before you got here that I think it was before the Carolina game when you said on, on the call, like, we're going to be doing Dallas again next week. And I thought, man, they're going to go do the Panthers game like the Panthers have the worst record in the NFL. That's a one o'clock game. Like Kevin and Greg are way too good for this game. Like what are they sending them to Carolina for? Although your history obviously makes some sense. Um, what, what was it like kind of experiencing that phenomenon for you, I guess, as the season unfolded? It was fun. You know, we, I, I feel like what was cool, you know, obviously it came to a tough end there in the playoffs for him, but what, what Kevin and I, I think enjoyed, and we talked a lot about during the course of the season alongside Dallas was, we were there early on in the season when they were still trying to figure out this new look offense, right? Figure out Dak, figure out Mike McCarthy calling plays, moving on from Kellen Moore and what a story that was coming into the season. So we were there early on when the story was they couldn't finish drives in the red zone. They couldn't generate explosive plays, but hey, Dak's not turning the ball over. So everything's great. And then they went into the bye after the San Francisco game. We had them coming out and they were a rocket ship. And we were like, this now is the vision, right? It's the explosive plays, red zone efficiencies picking up, and Dak is still not turning the ball over, and he's probably the MVP of the league, you know, down the stretch of the season. So it was kind of cool to see the evolution, and then we saw a tough back-to-back stretch, you know, with with Buffalo and, and a tough one on Christmas Eve against Miami. But then they bounced back. We saw him in Week 18. So it was we were kind of there for all the ups and the downs and the evolution of the season. And um, when you call a team nine times – you feel like you know them. You feel like you know the third string guard. You feel like you know what you – know, it's just – it's a unique insight into, you know, arguably the most popular team in the NFL, and uh, we enjoyed it all. Kevin, I'm curious from a play-by-play standpoint because the Cowboys do generate, as, as you all well know, so much attention and viewership, um, and every – Time they get a broadcast crew that isn't y'all. Um, we hear the same stories, right? Brandon Aubrey went to Notre Dame. He was drafted in the MLS and, and all sorts of stuff. So do you approach things as you do have to kind of tell certain stories 
over and over and over again because you might have so many new transplant audience members? Or is there some stuff that you're willing to kind of bake in and understand that the viewer might understand by December of the regular season? I think it's a really good question. And, and like I, I can speak to both sides of it, right? When you're coming in and like, let's say a, a crew's coming in and doing the team for the first time, you know, you feel like you want to just go over the, the, the main stories because you're a new group. And be, be honest, you know, even the most diehard fans don't necessarily see or hear every single minute, right? So that's how it is from one, one side of it. For us, you know, when we're basically embedded with the team and we know everybody so well and we've gotten so much info on the team, we kind of do the opposite where we're like, okay, there's certain things that obviously you that are key points you talk about every single week, right? We're going to talk about Dak and his connection to CD Lamb. We're going to talk about, you know, so some of those things. But we, on a weekly basis, especially when we had them two, three weeks in a row, we would always talk as a group, Greg and I and Aaron and Tom and our crew, like, okay, like what? What are we missing or what's a new angle? What are the fans caring about or what's something that we haven't done enough of? Um, just so honestly, uh, fans are interested. And I you know, especially again, you're, you're thinking that there are a segment of the fans that certainly aren't going to hear or listen to every single word or every single game. But the diehards, there are some that are. So, yeah, we were cognizant of that and tried to make, you know, there's some things that are going to be topics every week. But I think we definitely tried to dive into different things. And that was kind of the cool part is it allowed us to. We got to focus on different players or different nuances. And then obviously each week there's also the game gives you different stories right in front of your face. So that's, it's paying attention what's in front of you too, RJ. Greg, um, you've gotten a lot of kudos on the heels of the NFC Championship game. Obviously, you know, there were some divisive moments with Dan Campbell and things like that. And I think it's really clear how much homework you do at understanding trends in the NFL and, and what people are talking about and and marrying all those ideas together. And you seem to have really great instincts as evidenced by the fact that you sort of called Kevin cursing Brandon Aubrey in the final game of the regular season that y'all had. Um, uh, how? So, I mean, for context, to, to kind of your point, Kevin, to explain, Brandon Aubrey had not missed a kick ever in his NFL career, and you danced around it. And Greg, you were like, dude, what are you doing? This is a horrible idea, only to have it be blocked. Um, what is it like, I guess, in that moment, Greg, where th then then you have to you obviously have to describe what is happening and, and react to the block, but also live in the hilarity of the sequence that you just kind of called yourself. Yeah, I'm not sure if Kevin's really uh, going to ever move on from that. It's been something <laughs> that has really uh, been haunting him really since that day. And, you know, I'm not I'm not sure how he's really going to move on and, and, and be able to continue in this field. But uh you got to say the story, like starting the night before, though. This is a so, whole story behind that. So there's a little backstory to this. So the night before, I give my little <laughs> dissertation about different storylines and what I think, and Kevin gets a feel for what I'm thinking because he is the master at driving the broadcast, both what's happening on the field, but then when opportunities present, steering it to a way where he knows I'm anxious to talk about CD, whatever the sure. whatever the pre, you know whatever the storyline we have set up. And he's the master at getting me to a position where not only do I have the opening to discuss it, but it's relevant to what's happening in the game, right? So that's that's Kevin's secret sauce to why he is who he is. And everybody who works with him obviously gets better as a result. But in this particular case, I get done with my little 20-minute dissertation on the game. And then Kevin's like, hey, something else. You know, we got to be ready for Brandon Aubrey. You know, the season he's had is – potentially the greatest field goal kicking season of all time. Kevin, and I just made like a throwaway joke. Like I'm not talking about it tomorrow. I am not Dallas Cowboy fans have wow. already heard us enough. 
I made it as like in jest, joke, whatever. So it was like a throwaway laugh around the table and we moved on to something else. But in all fairness, it was the, it maybe still, I mean, two kicks he missed. But if he finished with no misses, with his, you know, with nine, sure. 50 plus, it was the best field goal kicking season. And it needed to be ever, ever. Yeah, not just for a rookie, to y'all's yeah, point. Like, ever, literally ever. ever, right. Anyone. He was passing, like, Morton Anderson. Or who was he passing? Was it Morton Anderson? Whatever it was. It was uh, it was Gary Anderson and Mike Gary Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. There you go. So, two historically good. So, the point of the story is we made, like, a throwaway joke that night. But we're all like, yeah, we got to discuss this. This kid comes on for his first kick. Like, it's a real story. So, just playing off the night before when, when Kevin said it, I said, hey, man, that's – I don't know what I said. I was something along the lines of, hey, man, that's on you, but we shouldn't be talking about this. And then, sure as shit, it's like thump, thump. And I was like, oh, my God. They blocked it. And, like, I grabbed his arm, and Kevin's doing the call because Washington returned right. on the sideline. And I'm, like, shaking him. And I want to say we went to a break, and it, we just looked at each other, and we were like, oh, my God. I know. It actually played out exactly what we were hoping was we made the joke about jinxing him and he split it down the middle and everyone moved on. Never in a million years did we actually think it wasn't going to be good. Felt think- bad for, we felt bad for the kid, obviously. And, the, and then, but then the, to finish the story later in the game, obviously he missed another one. And then it was like, okay, you want to see him make one here. So he comes out, you know, they, they, they throw the ball to the end with Cooper Rush just to give him a chance. Right. And he comes out to kick a 50 yarder and I go, all right, you know, try whatever I say. Try to get him back on track. He's nine for nine from 50-plus this year. Olsen grabs my bicep and nearly <laughs> rips it off my shoulder because he couldn't believe that I said that. And I got to be honest, once the kick went through, I was like, oh, all right. Thank God that went in. Um, I'm, so you have a lot of things that are going through your minds. Um, I don't know if you thought of what happened. I know you all didn't have the, the Cowboys wild card game last year when they beat the Buccaneers, but the Brett Maher meltdown was like rolling through everybody's minds. Like, oh my gosh, because he had had a really great season up until then. And then I know y'all did have the, the San Francisco loss and there was the Trent Williams, you know, beef or whatever at the beginning. Like everybody was just kind of pre-living that in their minds all over again. Um, so yeah, way to go. Uh, I don't know who to blame because I guess I didn't obviously didn't know that you had a hand in that too, Greg. Uh, but Kevin, you seemed like the person who authored the phenomenon, and then you tweeted about it and well, you apologized to Cowboys fans. And I thought that that was an appropriate, you know, kind of thing to ask because of why y'all are here. Y'all are here on behalf of DiGiorno's and Kevin, you just like, you want kickers to miss like a, this is for a good cause for all of us. This is, this is what, this is, this is a perfect, really a perfect segue, RJ. It's just, that's, that's a professional by you. Yeah. We, we want doinks. We want DiGiorno doinks, right? Like, so fans fired up for the big game, obviously. And here's the, here's something to root for. Okay. Everyone loves free pizza. Well, the good news is if you get any kind of doink in the game, you could register starting tomorrow, DiGiornoDoinks.com. You win free pizza. So, and here, and Greg, listen, on my behalf, before you say I'm going to jinx every kicker, you could doink and then go in, and you still can get a free pizza out of the deal. Okay, so everyone can be happy. Kickers can be happy. It's not my fault, but maybe you get a pizza out of the deal. Bank shots count. Um, have y'all ever had a DiGiorno's or anything in the booth, Greg? I imagine y'all have had many a meal um, at different times. Uh, we, only, we only eat uh, turduckins in the booth. <laughs> You know, um, y'all didn't have, (laughs) yeah, y'all didn't have the Cowboys game on Thanksgiving. And, you know, I'm a little bit sore about the fact that you had the Packers because that was the moment Jordan Love like really heated up. And, you know, we don't have to talk about everything else, but, um, you know, we gave him all the motivation he needed. 
Uh, on the subject, I guess, of the Cowboys' failures, again, as, as two people who know the team really well, uh, Kevin, you and I were talking right before Greg got here about how the playoff loss was so jarring. And, I mean, I think I think I speak for Cowboys fans in saying they're, they're besides themselves. We have no idea kind of how to feel. Um, Greg, I mean, what is your assessment? I mean, in terms of what they can do, what they should do, because you can make an argument for all sorts of different things at this moment in time, because especially after a playoff loss like that, you're just shook and, and you, you really have to kind of pick yourself back up and, and dust yourself off. Yeah. I don't think anyone within the organization and certainly the fan base, you know, for, I know there was some bad memories of the divisional round and sure. I, I'm, I'm sorry, of the wild card round and getting past the divisional and, I know that was all always kind of in the background. That was always kind of a story. Can Dallas get back to a championship game for the first time in 28 years, whatever it was. And I get that, but I don't think anybody anticipated. I don't think them losing was a shock. It wasn't us. Like I wouldn't have picked them to lose, but I didn't go into that game saying, Oh my God, I don't think green Bay can stay close. Like we, we thought going in green Bay's offense was going to be a handful and, they had enough pieces on defense to cause at least a little trouble to to keep the scoring to a you know at least to a degree. And again, no one thought it was twenty seven nothing with two seconds left in the first half. But so going in, we thought it could be a close game that Green Bay could compete. I don't think anybody saw it going the way it did. And when you win twelve games three years in a row, and you're number one scoring offense, and you're a top five defense, and your special team, when you when you have the season. Dallas did. And then you compound the way the end of the year went that aligned for them to kind of just fall into a home playoff game as the two seed. It seemed like everything was lining up. All right, this is the year. It's the Dallas versus San Francisco NFC championship rematch. Here we go. And it came crashing down. So I, I, I get it, right? I understand why there was that emotional reaction of we've got to get a new coach. We've got to get a new quarterback. We've got, we've got to blow it all up. This is never going to work. And I think that's a natural reaction when when there's disappointment and and a thing comes to a sudden end. But I do think they got it right. I, I do think when you've had the level of success they've had, you know, 36 wins in three years is nothing to shake a stick at in the NFL. That that is really really good consistency. The next thing for them is they got to get over the hump, right? And that's adding some pieces on the second level on defense. That's continuing to fine tune offensively in the postseason. How can they have a little bit more of a run game? How can they have a little bit more balance because playoff football is a little different? So I think that's the constant evolution of just improving. But I mean, you look around some of the best coaches, some of the best teams in the league, and they haven't sniffed an NFC championship or AFC championship game in a long time either. People don't realize it is so hard to get there. And that's why the Mahomes of the world and 49ers have really dominated their respective conferences in that regard. Everybody else is kind of fighting for scraps right now. Last one for y'all, Kevin, as, um, as the vocal author of so many great moments in the regular season for the Cowboys this year, which is the one that comes to mind. You got to close your eyes and and pick the moment from the 2023 Dallas Cowboys season that y'all were a part of. Wow. Um, There's a lot. I mean, so it might take you a while. I mean, nine games, you know, we experienced y'all for 36 quarters. I, I know. I, I know. Gosh, we we did so many, you know, and it's not even this year. I mean, even just going back the last two years, we've had so many awesome moments. And I agree with Greg. Like, you know, I I, I agree with everything that Greg said and certainly about this team. And, um, you know, just because it felt like they certainly had a chance. But I, I think they're on to something here. The best moment. This year, gosh, I don't know if there's a singular moment for me. I, I just, I'll say this: I enjoyed, I really enjoyed the Dak 
to CD connections throughout the year. You know, Dak had his best year. And that's the thing about, you know, everyone all, Mike McCarthy, whatever. Well, Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott uh, had their best years together, right? And so I think just Dak jumping to a new level uh, with his play, um, to me, that's what I enjoyed. I know, and I know the last one was a sour taste in the mouth of the playoff loss. It always is if you go out in the playoffs. But I, I just think he was so superb this year and so many things that he did uh, in his just competitive level that I, I really enjoy watching him play. I, I know that's not a, a specific play. If you're going for one specific play, the one that I always go back to is the one from last year, the one on the Christmas Eve game. Garden when, he hit, when he hit T.Y. Hilton up top for like 60 yards, that's like one of my favorite plays that I've called for the Cowboys in the last couple of years. That's a good one. And you also smushed the Eagles in the process. So we'll totally take that. Uh, DiGiornoDoinks.com. I don't think y'all get to hear this a lot. Um, so as somebody who speaks for a fan base that heard y'all, thank you very much. I mean, you help make memories that people remember forever with whoever they're watching games with and things like that. And while the Cowboys haven't won a Super Bowl, to your point, Greg, and your point too, Kevin, they've been two really successful years over um, these last couple of seasons. So thank y'all for being a part of our Sunday afternoons every week. Appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Hey, man, appreciate it. Enjoyed it.